show we are now in overtime uh the second half of the show that is online only it's still free we don't paywall any of our content but it is online only you're not going to hear this on fm radio so we have been freed from the shackles of the fcc censors and um and uh we've got some good stuff for you in overtime like i've been talking about a lot teddy ostro is going to be coming on at 11 30 and talking to us about the ups and the teamsters and what happened in 1997 uh, but before that, we have a caller on the line. So let's get to the caller, uh, see what they have to say. All right, 740, you are on the air. Well, that's me. I'm a What's your name? Where are you calling from? Ohio. And uh, what, uh, what's on your mind? I'm a 35-year part-time employee with UPS, and because of the contract, I have, you know, engaged more on social media. I found your channel, found your site, and I think you're doing a good job. I called mostly to tell you to continue. It's informative, and it's motivating. You're doing a good job. I appreciate it, brother. So, that that really does mean a lot. Anything that you would like to ask me, I'm, I'm a steward, 20-plus year steward, part-time. And if, if you have anything, I was there in 97. I stood, you know, on the picket line in 97. And if you have anything you'd like to ask me, we can continue the conversation. Yeah, well, I, I guess um, what how how are people in your um, in your workplace feeling about these negotiations? Do you feel like they are um, they're as motivated as it seems like the Teamsters membership are online? I, I think so. <clears throat> in in our location, most it, it's it's small. It's an extended center. We're not in a hub. There's a big mm. difference, in, and they're treated differently. So the people in the small hub, you know, that they, they, they're in the same community, of course, play ball, uh, their kids play ball, go to school. So you, you have a, a, a great deal of solidarity in, you know, there's one mission. We all have to come together part-time, full-time to accomplish this mission. And our local leadership is, is, is extremely engaged. They they, uh, they keep us well informed. Uh, they they participate, and it's hard to believe in the 35 years that I've been there. You have 
a lot of times local officials that you always hear people say, well, they only show up when it's election time or they only show up at this time. We have a local that's engaged. You know, they're 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 not concerned just with the, the big hubs. They're concerned with everyone. And when you and when you engage your members like that, then they become involved. Mm. They're informed and they become motivated. Yeah, that that that's really important. I, I think uh, to have uh, membership or, or leadership that facilitates engagement by the membership. I, I think that really makes uh, makes a world of difference um, in in how the not only how the membership feels, but how much power it gives them. Well, it, it does, and and again, you know, you, you we have two large hubs in the local, and. That that's where a lot of members are. So, from a from a an election standpoint, that's where your votes are, and where your problems occur, generally speaking. And sometimes those extended centers, and they're all across the United States, little centers out in the middle of nowhere, that those members seem to be forgotten or have in the past. You know, that's, that's not the case now. The, the area that I'm in, it's it's like probably I live in the poorest county in Ohio, and we have a nuclear facility. So it's it's probably the mo- most economically depressed area. There's no industry, mm. no manufacturing industry in in our area. There's right. some manufacturing, but it's small scale. Mm-hmm. So opportunities. Are, you know, you're going to work on sawmill, you're going to cut timber, or you're going to farm. That that's right. your opportunities, other than maybe a government job of some sort. Unless you're a professional, you know, you go to the hospital. Right. Well, what are what would you say are some of the biggest issues for people in 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 your uh, facility um, for, in these contract negotiations? And do you feel like uh, do you feel like it, it seems like the negotiating committee is addressing them? Yes, yes. We, we've had contract proposals and a lot of concerns. You know, people put on their proposals, and those proposals are, and and, and that's nationwide. It's the getting rid of the twenty-two-four, which was mm. the two-tier driver. Now, when I say that, and and this is something that's not really been out in the print. There's there's a full-time position with UPS that's basically inside they call them 223 jobs they're a combination they take two part-time jobs and combine them to a full-time job mm. that was part of what 97 that was part of the strike of 97 you you'll see the old signs that say you know more full-time jobs and that's right. where those were created in 97 and they combine those jobs well some of those jobs are inside and you're loading packages and the other half that would maybe four hours and then the other half of that job is you're driving air packages now here's where here's where the rub is while you're working on the inside you're paid your part-time what your seniority affords you at your part-time rate if you go out and you drive the airs you're afforded that air rate which is substantially higher right and one of the concerns in our area is that you have 
a full-time teamster making a part-time wage. Yeah. And yeah. and that you don't see that in print too much, you know, but I feel like it is being addressed. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Jose, who's a teamster from out in California in the chat, said that twenty said the same thing that you did. 22.3s are paid less than a full-time driver. And, yep. um, and, and one of the things that I saw from, actually, and it surprised me, that this person claimed to be a, a package car driver um, complaining in our comment section in one of the videos about the idea that part-timers, um, he was complaining about a part-timer calling in saying, you know, we need we need a raise. We need, um, uh, you know, th- this person was saying 25 an hour w- would be good. And, they, and this person said the idea that a part-timer should be making the same rate as a package car driver is just terrible. And, you know, it's se- it, because uh, part-time jobs aren't supposed to be full-time uh, or aren't supposed to provide for a family. And the... It it just kind of shocks me that the penalty for working, you should face two penalties for working part-time, right? I certainly understand, you know, I work less hours, so I get less money, right? I understand that. But the idea that I make less money by virtue of working less hours, and I also have a lower wage rate, that seems wild to me, (laughs) right? And I started in 1988 at eight, $8 an hour. Mm-hmm. Now, you can put that in the inflation calculator and come up, and you're going to come up close to 25. That was That's buying power. Right. So within, and, and in 1988, we had what they called skilled labor. Mm. If you went to the preload, you, you, you started, you was an unloader, and you went to the preload, you made a dollar more an hour. Mm. So uh, within 90 days, I was making... Nine dollars an hour had a fifty cent raise and a dollar and another fifty cent raise within a year. So I'm at ten dollars an hour, while minimum wage for the state of Ohio was three dollars and thirty five cents or three twenty five at at that mm-hmm. time. So that they called us student workers, and you know going to college that was that was substantial. That was a substantial amount of my tuition. Was it a living wage? Well, you know, I was young right then. So when you're young and you're strong, you don't need near as much money, I guess. But Mm. the point that I am making is that the part-timers now, and for the last, really, there's a slot between five and, say, 20 years. Those part-timers have come in at that $10 an hour and got the general wage increase and never saw, have have not seen any kind of, of what they call catch-up raises. Mm. There were catch-up raises in, I believe it was a 2002-2007 contract for part-timers, which was, you know, it caught a lot of guys up. In a sense, am I looking to live from a part-time job? No. That's, that's not, I'm not going to make a career of the part-time job. But the fact that I go in there and people say, well, you're under the contract, you're guaranteed three and a half hours. You show up, you're guaranteed three and a half hours. And this is under the central. So that's fine. However, in peak season, you might work six, seven, maybe eight, depending on what shift you're on. Mm-hmm. So from a part-time, if you're, you're running part-time, 
in in July you're getting three and a half, maybe four hours. You know, in November you're working six hours. So you have you know, you got to learn to to tweak schedules, hmm. and and you can do that. I'm not going to say that that it's not an excuse to to cry. Oh, I'm part time and I'm here. You know, you, you still have to be self motivated. Well, I. Yeah, well, um, I, I really appreciate the call. Um, is, is there anything else you wanted to add? No, just that, you know, I, I think that solidarity is, is, is everything. Unity is everything, everybody together, you know, for one cause. And that one cause is to, to secure a good contract for everyone. And I think that that's what the IBT is doing, and I think that translates down at least in our local is translating down, and and I think that's that's my perspective. And now you have a perspective from Ohio. All right, that's awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much for yep. sharing, brother. Really appreciate it. Okay. Uh, Apollo in the uh, or uh, God X One in the chat says local four thirty nine UPS Teamster here. Thank you for watching. Apollo says package handler and driver helper from West Texas here. I hear a lot about how drivers have to drive have to deliver in ninety plus weather, and I feel for them really. But I'm especially worried about our Texas and other southern area drivers because the summer days down here regularly pass one hundred five, and it's a blessing if it gets below a hundred. I have to low and load in seventy to ninety degree weather in a building that doesn't have AC, just fans that more or less blow the hot air around even if it even hits your area uh yeah this this heat stuff is is really an issue and i think last week there was one day where there were five ups package car drivers in texas that got a or in california uh that had heat strokes like five in a day really crazy stuff um jose uh said love seeing other teamsters ups teamsters local 952 here um Apollo said, doesn't help that our center runs out of water and ice regularly. Local 577. Yeah, that is not good if you're running out of water. Um, Devastator Omega says, the part-time hub employees deal with more verbal abuse by management because they're there all the time versus drivers that only deal with customers. Big difference. I could imagine that, that it would be much more stressful having your boss over your shoulder the the whole time. That would not be be fun. Jose says... uh, Per the IBT from a tweet on Sunday, if tentative agreement on a new contract is not reached by July 31, UPS will force 340,000 Teamsters nationwide to withhold our labor for higher wages and better working conditions. Um, yeah, yeah, good stuff. Uh, so let's let's take a look at this. But and uh, Teddy's going to be on in 10 to 15 minutes or so, and so let's let's take a look at this um, this scab influencer. Um, uh, and we actually have another caller on the line. Oh, do we? Oh, well, let's. I guess yeah. Let's bring the caller on. Sure, let's do that. All right. We've got a seven one four caller. You're on the air. Buenos dias, gentlemen. It's Jose Francisco Negrete from local nine fifty two out here in the most happiest place on earth, Anaheim, California. Jose, nice to hear from you again. Uh, What's on your mind? Well, one is that Southern California is really becoming a hot labor summer out here. We just had SAG-AFTRA announce on Thursday that they're on strike. Uh, Of course, we have the WGA riders. We have uh, the medieval time workers in Buena Park, California, that have been on strike for 190 days or something like that, some crazy amount. Or, no, 300 days, I believe. 
they, they've been on strike for a while. And then we have our 84 brothers and sisters out there in Palmdale extending the picket line throughout uh, these United States to uh, kind of disrupt uh, Amazon, little guerrilla kind of guerrilla tactic, I guess you, <laughs> mm-hmm. you want to put it. So, uh, you know, I'm here as, as a rank of foul, as a uh, Teamster mobilized. And I was hearing the brother from uh, Georgia talk about, but yet uh, we have that classification, 22 threes, which are paid less than a full-time driver. So we talk about all these two-tier systems. Oh, we want to abolish the two-tier system, but I mean, we have so we have so many classifications that it created like uh, a two-tier system when it came to wages. So I hope one mm. day. With the 22 fours being eliminated, okay, that's step one. The other step is bringing 22 threes to the same pay as a regular package car driver and closing the gap between a uh, full time and a part timer. You know, full time you don't you we go on scene, and I work in the twilight, so I work from you know in the evening shift. We start around as early as maybe five sometimes. So as late as like 6:45, mm-hmm. and you get a bunch of volume in that short amount of window, and you're just getting you know your, especially if you're on the load side, unloading to a trailer that's going to be sent into respective parts of this country, it's just you're you're just drenched in sweat, regardless if it's in uh, if it's in the winter or in the summer, you're just drenched. You know, so as as a Teamster mobilized, we've been advocating for for a twenty five dollars starting pay, which the gentleman said from uh, Ohio. If you put that in inflation calculator, it would you know that that pay that he had in nineteen eighty eight. So now it'll probably be around twenty five dollars. Mm. And so we're advocating for that. We're advocating for the creation of more twenty two three jobs because our only path to go into full time shouldn't be driving. I'll take me for example. In 2002, 2003, I, I wanted to go driving because, you know, um, I was here. I was I was hearing how much drivers were making. I would talk to some of the drivers too, and I was like, damn, okay, maybe I should go into driving. And I remember because back then everything was stick. Everything was automatic. Uh, everything was uh, stick. So I really didn't know how to drive stick. So mm-hmm. I had a car washer, you know, bring me in like an hour early. He'll meet me in like an hour early. He could take me to the yard outside uh, where we have our trailers to move our trailers around. And he would teach me how to drive sticks. So I, uh, he, I learned. And then my time came to take the class. So I took an on-road test. And then I passed that. And then when I took my physical, I failed because my right eye, the optic nerve is so weak. So I failed. Mm. And I remember going to HR. And HR is like, well, you know, we can't, you can't go drive because of your ride. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, the DMV gave me a license. So that's right. probably a little bit more important than having to, have, you know, being able to go to the driving class. He then says, well, you're, you're a liability for UPS because something happens to your, to your left and you have to use your right. And at that moment, you know, I'm glad we're not on the, regulated by the FCC right now. So I said, you know, fuck it. You know, I was like, fuck you then because, you know, I, that was my only path because, you know, for me to go uh, full time in a quicker pace, you know, that's why I've been working a second job for the last 17 years now. 
as yeah. instructional assistant at, for the Anaheim Union High School District because I knew that if I wasn't go if I if I weren't if I wasn't going to be able to drive, then for a chance for me to go full time inside would been the trajectory would have been long. Hmm. You know, finally this year I got I got offered one. But it was from midnight to eight thirty. I was like, I, I really can't take it because my son, he's in, he's gonna start high school next year. Well, in in August at Anaheim High School. And I was like, I, I really can't do it, you know. But I mean, I love my morning job as well. I love working with students, and helping students out. But I mean, it's I had to, you know, I had to, I had to wait twenty four years to be asked for to, to be asked to get a, a full time position there that doesn't have yeah. to do with driving. Yeah, that and that's another thing that that I've seen in the comments is is you know and it, and it has been and of course when I say these when I mention these negative comments they are by far by far the minority I mean basically every all, all of the uh, comments especially f- from Teamsters have been supportive uh, like the ones in the chat but there have been a few that that have really kind of befuddled me and and another one was like uh, you know a, a package car package car driver saying well just go full time if you want to support a family uh, from a UPS like just go full time like as if oh well <laughs> well I hadn't thought of that well <laughs> well thank you you know uh, it's because it, they, they 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 don't they when drivers say that it's more it's coming from like a singular perspective in my understanding because they were able to go full time and right. you know within that five year span six year span or what whatever the driving uh uh, the driving uh, wait time was at for their respective hubs, but some people can't go driving for for medical reasons and other reasons. Some are caretakers, so they can't really go out driving. Because if you go driving, you're committed to at at minimum eight hours. But you, every driver knows you really don't stay out there for eight hours unless you know UPS starts messing with the volume, you know, and starts cutting your route or or whatever it may be, you know. So right. you're really not out there for eight hours and so if you're a caretaker, you know, being your your mother, your father, wh- whoever it may be, right? You're if you're driving, you're out there for a while, and mm. you can't, you know, you you can't, you need to be taking care of what you need to be taking care of. If there's a if there's more a, more creation of, of full time inside jobs, then they could they have okay, you know what? Well, I'm gonna work these eight hours, and then I know I could go home and do what I need to do. Take right. care of my loved one, or in my case, you know, I could actually go full. I could actually drop one job, <laughs> drop the other job, and keep one. But you know, it just the chat, the one I was given to, I, I just really couldn't because of the hours, you know. And sometimes they just give you these like hours that are just like too. I, <laughs> I really can. You expect me to get off at eight thirty, take my son, you know, take a you know four six hour nap. You know, if my bad son has a basketball game, you know, wake up, go there, then get ready to go to work. You know, no, I wish it, they made a little bit more uh, accessible hours when it comes mm-hmm. to full-time jobs. But they do, but you just have to wait for somebody to retire. And then sometimes you have to you have to go up against a driver because it's easier for UPS to keep a driver in that full-time position, right? Because if you switch from a driver to a 22-3, there, there's no hit for UPS. They're still paying, you know, now they're, you know, the payroll policy be the same. The medical uh, benefits will still be, contributions going to be the same. So UPS really doesn't lose anything, lose anything on that ground. But when you go from part-time to full-time, you know, that's where UPS kind of takes the hit because now you're going from 
uh, a certain wage, right? For example, seventeen something. Till now, I think it's uh, twenty-one. You start off with twenty-five. You start off to drive, and then you know every year you go bump. You get bumped up to a higher rate until you hit your fourth year, which you'll be at top rate, which is forty-two, forty-one, I believe. And then your your contribution is way different, right? Because right? you're now you're not contributing to to a part time pension. Now you're contributing to a full time pension. So it's easier for UPS, you know, to to have those uh, uh, tiers, if you want to call it, to qualify to go like a full time, like a twenty two three, because you have to give them to, for example, for a combo job, you have to give them to a combo job person first. And then a driver with 15 years, then last a part timer, you know. And and we've allowed that, we have allowed that hierarchy to to exist at U at UPS. Talking about uh, the IBT, the Teamsters, we've allowed that to happen, and we sh- and we shouldn't have. And yep. you know, and talking about part time pay, those those wages have been depressed for so long that UPS has profited, and uh, and the IBT has allowed it. It wasn't until 2013 when they went, uh, they moved the starting rate. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. And they moved the starting rate. And then 2018, they did the same thing. But you went from 850 to, you know, 1550, $7. Okay, that's cool when you were starting, <laughs> when you're starting like in 20, 2013, 2014, something like, you know, during that period. But if you're, if you started in 98, or 88, you know, you've seen just a $7 increase of pay. Mm. So UPS, with the, with the, with the permission of the IBT, allow this to happen. Yeah. And part-timers cannot be suffering this anymore. You know, this is, we need to come together as part-timers and say, you know what, enough is enough. We, you need to pay us a thriving wage. And that's what Teamster, Teamster Mobilize is advocating for and we're pushing for. Thanks for the call, Jose. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, gentlemen, for having yep. your show. It's that's awesome to have it. Uh, awesome being able to being able to do it. Really enjoy it. Is Teddy? In I can't Zoom? wait to hear Teddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Is he in the Zoom? All right. Well, let's bring him on, and maybe after we finish with the uh, after we finish with the uh, Teamster stuff. If he wants, he can stick around and, and watch this uh, stuff about the scab nurse influencer. Uh. <laughs> uh, Teddy Ostro is a freelance reporter. Uh, he is also host of The Upsurge, a podcast about the contract negotiations between the Teamsters and the United Parcel Service, UPS. But uh, really, about what's become a broader potential revival in the American labor movement. Uh, we're really excited to have him on. Teddy, welcome to the show. I can't hear him. Can you hear him? Okay, sure, sure. Um, so, w- um, what we're gonna, what we're gonna, okay, what we're gonna talk to him about is um, 
the uh, we're obviously going to get the latest and greatest. And he was actually at the rally that Sean O'Brien and Sean Fain both attended in New York to support um, the Teamsters fight for a fair contract in particular. And they were joined by uh, some uh, lots of other really high-profile speakers. Um, the Teamsters hey, on... I don't know if you can hear me. Yes, I can hear you now, Teddy. Hey, sorry to right. interrupt you, but uh, sorry about that. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Super excited to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, really excited. And, and I was just telling folks that you just came from the rally where uh, the, the Labor Shans came together, Sean Fain from the UAW and Sean O'Brien from the Teamsters, as well as uh, AOC, the UAW mm -hmm. Region 9 director, Brandon Mansilla, who I think was just on your show, if I remember yep. right. News Guild president yeah. John Schloys, uh, NYC comptroller Brad, Brad Landler, and New York City Council member Tiffany Caban. Uh, lots of really high-profile names there at that speech. So let's just start off with uh, uh, with with that. We're going to get into the 97 strike, but but we want to get some of the latest and greatest. So so uh, yeah, what what happened at the uh, at, at the the Union of the Labor Shans this morning? Oh man, it was super exciting. I got to say, I had I had a really everybody had a great time. Just uh, the energy in that room it was packed, uh, and the, you know there were speeches. Folks were just walking around talking to members. Um, Sean O'Brien gave a, a great speech, of course, uh, as he often does, and um, you know just rallying the troops, rallying the rallying the ranks. We also heard from Vinnie Perone, the president of Local 804. We heard from AOC. Um, you know, uh, and then we didn't hear a speech from Sean Fain, the president of the UAW. I went up to him uh, and I went up to a number of people at the UAW. I went up to a number of different workers that we saw there, uh, including Starbucks workers and was like, Hey, you know, sort of a leading question. Mm -hmm. What are you doing here? Like, right. <laughs> what, what's going on? Uh, and obviously the answer is solidarity. Everybody is believing uh, that this, these fights, these different fights around the country that we're seeing, uh, whether it's the 160,000 SAG workers who just walked out, mm -hmm. the writers, the hotel workers, um, and various contracts that are uh, funnily going to, you know, line up and expire this year. Um, it's all the same fight. Um, so it, it really, and Sean Fain, I had, I hadn't met him before. He's a cool dude. Uh, you know, talks to you, uh, just like you're the worker, just like he is. So it's, it's a, it was a really fun time. Lots of, uh, great energy. I'm sure clips will be coming out of, uh, out of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can, I'm can looking di forward to divulge more, but it was great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, digging into those clips and maybe sharing some of them next week on the show. Um, was there anything new as far as negotiations? We are now, we're coming up on two weeks, almost a week and a half, almost two weeks from when UPS walked away from the negotiating table, refusing to move. So, uh, did, uh, did president O'Brien have anything new on that front? Nothing on negotiations. I would say that something new that I hadn't heard prior um, was pretty, mm, I would say, explicit slash implicit uh, note that, you know, we don't want the Biden administration to intervene um, hmm. as they did in the preemptively broken rail strike last year, mm -hmm. um, as Bill Clinton was asked to do in 1997. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and he said, you know, we, uh, you know, regardless of what anyone tells us, that's not going to stop us, which I took as saying, and, and I think other people probably took as saying, look, like they could tell us to go back to work. We're not gonna, we're our yeah. own, we're our own union. We're in the private sector. This is our fight. Um, this is the, the, the country's fight, the workers fight, uh, and we're going to do it. So I, that's, that's what I say is new beyond that. Uh, this is a part of a larger tour that, uh, Sean O'Brien, Fred Zuckerman, some of the Teamsters leaders are doing around the country, visiting different UPS facilities. They were just in New Jersey. I was at a practice picket in um, my hometown of Brooklyn yesterday where Sean O'Brien was um, walking around, you know, giving handshakes, joining the practice picket line. Uh, so at the moment, yeah, nothing new on negotiations. Uh, it's still possible, of course, that they could come to a deal. Um, and the question, of course, that I have right now is we're seeing some mixed messages about whether a TA by July 31st would actually halt the strike um, or they need a ratified contract. Um, so, yeah, I'd say the new is the going around the country and rallying all of the rank and file to be ready to make this a credible strike threat. Jose in the chat, and I'm, I'm not sure where he got this, but he said that the Teamsters did quote, and you know who Jose, he was on your show, actually. Yep, Jose. Um, which, hey, Jose. <laughs> which just, uh, you know, just for everybody, if you have not listened to the upsurge, I, I just got caught up. I've listened to all of the public episodes now. It's all very good, and there's a lot of good information about what's going on now, and, and also some of... Uh, the history of some of the fights that, that are going on. So it's really great. I could not recommend it enough, the Upsurge podcast. Um, but Jose said, if tentative agreement on a new contract is not reached by July 31, UPS will force 340,000 Teamsters nationwide to withhold our labor, blah, blah, blah. So it seems like the Teamsters are, there is a, uh, it, it seems like if they get a TA, they wouldn't strike. So, um, but I don't know that that could change as well. Um, it's it's uh, according to people I've talked to, it, it's it's I think it's it, much like the prospect of a TA in general. It's it's uh, we have to see. Right. A lot of this stuff we have to see. For example, there was a deadline of uh, June 30th, I believe, for last best and final. It became July 5th. But this is just how negotiations are. You know, mm -hmm. uh, they they are like uh, fast moving and they can uh, slither around and we'll see. I think it's really in a wait and see kind of position right now. I heard you mention on your show um, some maybe with some trepidation, trepidation uh, which which I certainly echoed about the um, the moving of lines that had been drawn. Um, how ha, how do you think that's being received by UPS, and and how do you think the membership is receiving that? Yeah, I mean, I I think some people are kind of just like this is this is what it is. Others are a little bit, uh, you know, it's it's making people feel nervous. Um, mm. That said, uh, people who I've talked to have been have been negotiating a long time, including in the Teamsters. This is just how this is how negotiations often work. Um, you know, you have bargaining strategies, and that that you know, you say this, this is the line, that is the line. Um, and I would say that like, it certainly it isn't um, ideal that like workers aren't hearing uh, 
everything that's going on you know there's the idea of like big completely transparent open bargaining um that isn't what's going on in the teamsters certainly mm. far better than the past 25 years um having like a hundred or so like uh, rank and file workers on the on the uh, bargain national bargaining committee as well as like throughout the supplements um and i think just that state of uh not complete transparency in general whether it's not knowing what was proposed to uh, here's the line, here's the line, here's the line, and we keep crossing it. Yeah, it, it's going to make people anxious. But I do think that there are a lot of people, um, a lot of folks who have trust in sort of uh, what's going on. Um, and yeah, you have to you have to trust or you, have, you can critique. And I think both are sort of valid uh, points of view. Yeah. Was there anything noteworthy from the speeches of the elected officials like um, AOC, Tiffany Caban? We didn't hear from Tiffany Caban. Um, we heard from AOC, of course. Um, I think what I what I noted, of course, is just um, the expression of solidarity and the recognition by AOC and other and other uh, people who made speeches, which were, were Vinnie Perone, Sean O'Brien, that this is a larger fight. Um, the fight of Teamsters or our fight for the labor movement more broadly. And I'm sure we can get in talking about like why that is the case. Um, I mean, there's the obvious point of the scale of such a strike. Um, mm -hmm. But logistics workers, uh, they move this country, you know. Um, and uh, I think that like there are some people out there um, who question some politicians, uh, certainly who who voted through like the deal um, for the rail workers. Um, but I think like this is the second time I've seen AOC come out for the Teamsters in New York. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping that there's just solidarity all around from the politicians out there. And I think there's there's probably some skepticism out there as well in the members, um, probably even some of the leaders. Um, but, yeah, it was good to see. Uh, last question, I think, on the on some of the uh, uh, current events type stuff, and then we can talk about some of the history that, that I'm really excited about. Uh, but a reporter on your podcast, who I, I think you said used to work for the used to write for the Chicago Tribune, uh, said that he thinks whether or not there's a strike is really going to come down to basically the last 48, 72 hours, um, and that both sides are kind of there's there's a little bit of, of a game of chicken going on. Um, so. Uh, does that how, how do you how do you feel about that do you feel like we're we're really just not gonna be able to know if there's gonna be a strike until basically july 31st that that really comes down to whether ups will come to the table and whether they they clock um the strike threat as credible um mm. and it seems like so far strangely based on the people i have talked to um that they are not quite getting it hmm. so uh and and of course it depends on whether or not a t if a ta is reached that that will halt the strike this is in just to pre uh you know pre-talk about the 1997 strike um you know july 31st 1997 uh they wanted a little bit more time and and uh, ups uh, teamsters granted ups that time um they gave another insulting offer and come August 4th, that's when they went out on strike. So mm. I think like uh, Sean O'Brien has been pretty firm line in the sand about a number of different contracts, not just at UPS, but also the freight contracts that are being negotiated. Uh, T-Force just came to a TA as well, it used to be UP UPS freight. Um, 
these lines in the sand you could interpret in whatever way it seems like a bargaining strategy to me and yeah i think the 11th hour analysis well whether it'll come to that is is certainly possible it's certainly possible that's oftentimes when tas come to agreement right and didn't you say that it, it seems like the customers of UPS aren't really clocking this strike that threat as serious either. You know, like there would be some expectation. Mm-hmm. I would think that if I was a customer of UPS, that I would want to kind of move some of my uh, move some of my orders temporarily to a different logistics company, um, and that just is not happening. Yeah, I mean, some of the big big customers, like big shippers, uh, throughout the pandemic also already diversified. So like if you look at UPS's, uh, I, I think, share uh, just by volume, it actually has decreased over the past few years. Its revenue certainly has gone up. So there, that diversion in the long run has already began. That said, um, yeah, at this point, the ones who are with UPS don't seem to be moving over. FedEx was pretty um, clear months ago saying like, hey, if you're going to come with us, do it like now. Um, we're not going to take you. And they also really would just want people who have long-term contracts. Some of these contracts are long-term. So FedEx is kind of being like, putting their hands up and be like, come with us or don't, you know? Interesting. Um, and that means that the, the, the damage that, uh, um, you know, or not the damage, just, uh, you know, the amount of leverage that the workers have is, is quite great right now. Right. So uh, let's go ahead now and, and take a step back. All this is, is really only possible is only happening in the way that it's happening because there's new leadership at the top of the Teamsters, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, we would not be expecting this sort of national drama under a uh, a Hoffa Jr. administration. No way. This is is, uh, not only just the result of new leadership, but that new leadership that came into power um, because of the valiant push by the reform movement within the union, um, Teamsters for a Democratic Union, which dates back to the rank and file, radical rank and file movements of the 70s, um, helped get democracy in the union um, beginning in 1989 or the, with the election of Ron Kerry in 1991, uh, pushed in 1997 for that strike, um, you know, worked hard to do what they could under Hoffa Jr. in the preceding uh, or the the succeeding 25 years, and then um, 2018 again uh, organizing to uh, elect these uh, new leaders, certainly who have more a militant posture. Um, and yeah, we are here today with a with a union that is wanting to fight for a better UPS contract. And then the twin goal of that is to leverage that to organize Amazon, which threatens the broader working class by lowering standards. Absolutely. Uh, And that is something that I have been excited to see O'Brien say in a lot of these, in a lot of his speaking engagements on this is that, you know, there's a, um, the Amazon is really, you know, an existential threat to a, a, um, a good middle class life, you know, <laughs> and and that and that winning a good contract at UPS is kind of a necessary first step to uh, to organizing Amazon, um, and so the you know this <clears throat> the new leadership at the Teamsters is is really inspiring, um, I think, in in a number of ways, uh, and you mentioned you know that even. Uh, 
even beyond just like, oh, there's a parallel here in that these are similar things that are happening, there's actually roots from this uh, mm-hmm. uh, from this reform slate to the reform reform movement that elected Ron Carey. So talk, uh, tease out some of those roots for us and, and what are some of the similarities that we saw in 1997 to what happened to bring Sean O'Brien to the presidency today? Sure. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of differences. We can bite them off as we go. Um, but so I mentioned Teamsters for a Democratic Union, which played a critical role um, in bringing the current administration of the Teamsters to power. That came after basically Hoffa Jr., son of Jimmy Hoffa, um, the, the infamous but also legendary Jim, Jimmy Hoffa, uh, forced the 2018 contract down the throats of the workers, despite them voting it down using an arcane clause in the Teamsters Constitution. Um, they took that frustration, which was frustration with the union as well, um, for proposing the second tier drivers, it was the union that actually proposed the Is second it, tier drivers. Uh, that was yeah. Explain explain that how that happened because that's <laughs> insane. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's pretty wild, and it's kind of an. I think when teamsters who talk about it, uh, they're almost embarrassed for that. Uh, it was mm-hmm. this twenty two four is the second tier driver system whereby uh, a new like generation of drivers receive worse benefits, worse um, pay than their predecessors. Uh, Yeah, that was pitched by the union because UPS, uh, they've been using a word for a very long time, dating back to 97. Um, Of course, we want flexibility. Union said, here, have it. (laughs) Um, And this was also like meant to try to, you know, pitch to something to tamp down on um, uh, overtime. But anyway, yeah, that was incredibly frustrating because they, the rank and file workers, um, with organized through TDU in part, uh, voted it down. They, they, and they, this is a hard thing to do at the national level. Like we've seen supplementals over the years get voted down um, consistently, but voting it down was a, a tough thing to do. And people really put an immense amount of organizing into it. So when it was shoved down their throats, they got really, really angry. And this sort of was channeled into, the uh the election against verma who is this kind of hand-picked guy um, from hoffa mm. jr um and toward sean o'brien and fred zuckerman's slate um teamsters united uh and if we look back in time you know tdu sort of clutched onto these similar frustrations um and channeled them into productive organizing for for a long time they emerged in um, the 1970s they were first teamsters for a decent contract um, kind of merged and, and folded into different with different groups to become Teamsters for a Democratic Union. And at that time, the frustrations were having to do with a, a number of things. Um, but of course, there was just the corruption in the union that uh, really was losing them power at that point, right. you know, coupled with uh, the deregulation of trucking, which absolutely destroyed the industry. You know, you went from like a national master freight contract of like 450,000 uh, freight truckers to, you know, there's something like 50,000 today, really. And that, and a lot of that, uh, a lot of that happened in just like the first few years. So there's corruption. There's um, not democracy at the at the national level. There was no voting at that time in the 1980s or prior to 1989, which was when strangely uh, a probe um, uh, prompted by some murders and other issues uh, led by Rudy Giuliani um, 
Interesting. Terrible, terrible mayor of New York for a very long time. Also Trump lawyer. Um, yeah, basically uh, investigated and Teamsters for a Democratic Union was there to orient this uh, federal federal monitoring of the union um, as a re result of the, uh, you know, the, the corruption. They oriented it to um, pushing for democracy um, mm. in the union. It's Teamsters for a Democratic Union. And that meant that there would be the first one member, one vote election for top officers um, in 1991. So and and kind of riding off of this uh, federal probe, riding off of the frustration of uh, so much corruption, you know, like selling away the the uh, the pension fund, uh, they were able to push successfully um, with other with other uh parts of the union to elect Ron Carey, who some people um, sort of like you draw a line from Sean O'Brien to Ron Carey. They have different roots, certainly. O'Brien from Boston uh, and uh, Ron Carey from New York, militant leader in New York, who was the president of Local 804, um, which is where, uh, you know, amongst whom, uh, whose members I was with today. And they pushed for Ron Carey, who said it's enough that, you know, even though there were direct elections by then, um, it's enough with the concessions. It's enough with uh, the corruption. Um, we're going to turn this union around. And he he won uh, with 48 percent of the vote, really shocked uh, everybody at that time. And a lot of people didn't believe that there was going to be democracy in the union. Um, but there was. And Ron Carey um, in the in the succeeding years, uh, you know, um, with some quiet and not so quiet help from TDU, um, started building towards what would be the 97 strike. Um, and yeah, no, no, go ahead. No, I was like, maybe I can stop there, but yeah, it's so TDU, uh, really funneled the 2018, uh, you know, from 2018 to the 2021 election of the new Teamsters leaders, TDU funneled the frustrations and uh, the federal probe towards democracy in the union in 1991 and the election of Ron Carey. Um, and that is one that is one of the similarities, which is just this base organizing, um, a, you know, reform movement, which is also yet right. We're seeing it across different unions right now. UAW had its first one member, one vote election of top officers, which is a direct result of the organizing of Unite All Workers for Democracy, mm -hmm. UAWD started in 2019. Lots of similarities we're seeing here. Um, but the other similarity, if uh, stop me if you like, but the other similarity, I think, or one of the other similarities is just the problems that we're seeing um, <laughs> in the union and also just uh, at UPS. Um, mm -hmm. So 1997, that strike, which Ron Carey started organizing for a year prior to uh, contract expiration, um, with TDU's help, of course, um, and with TDU, key TDU folks um, in the administration, uh, they it was it was the tagline was part-time America won't work. Mm -hmm. And I just heard um, Jose, who was talking about how hard it was to get you know get an inside job, couldn't get a driver job, um, and you know for years. And this is a widespread problem at UPS today. Well, in the 1960s, this is when it started happening. Basically, UPS started laying off full-time workers, full-time inside workers, and replacing them with part-timers. Right. Um, Ron Carey uh, at Local 804 led several strikes from, I think, from like 1968 through the 70s, 
um, basically to halt this process that was uh, being done, the replacement of full-time workers with part-timers. They understood that this was an existential threat to what the Teamsters offered um, as, as, a, as a union, which mm -hmm. was at the time just a brilliant life. <laughs> they yeah. had, I think uh, I read recently, they had Teamsters members in like the 70s had, you know, wages that were 20% higher than even steel workers and unionized uh, auto workers. Wow. This was threatened. This was threatened. And UPS continued this process. Um, local 804 and some other locals were able to kind of stop it uh, or stem it, not completely stamp out what was going on. But by 1982, this is a key year, which was a major, major year of concession. Teamsters Union nationally cut part-time wages down um, to eight uh, eight dollars an hour, hmm. which would remain there um, until '97, where it was raised to eight fifty, and then it would remain there until about 2010. So we're talking about a fifty cents starting raise over 30 years. Yeah, um, and this is why and, wages. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even uh, the uh, you said you know it was cut to eight dollars an hour. And even that, though, is comparatively high to what we have, to what Teamster part-timers at UPS have today. We just had a caller um, on the, uh, uh, when we went right in, uh, the, uh, as we uh, went into overtime, who is a 30-year a part-timer who said that he is just now into, if I'm remembering right, just now getting into $20 an hour. And he said he remembered working for $8 an hour back in the in the 80s and if you put that into an inflation calculator that's $25 an hour today. Yep. And the yep. Con Even the contractual pay rate huh. is 15.50. Yep. It's uh it just got raised um by Cola to 16.30 I believe in in some places but it's it's just uh still it's like nothing. And that's yeah. and and it's funny I want to know I want to know what uh, the, I haven't done the calculation adjusting for inflation. I believe it was cut by like a twenty percent or so. Wow. Um, from the, so that's eight from that's a uh, to down to eight dollars an hour before they had roughly the same wages as full time workers. Um, I think many of them lacked fringe benefits though. They didn't get mm. like holidays, pensions, that sort of thing, which changed over time. Um, but I'm like, okay, so the concession year means that it would be over twenty five dollars an hour to, wow. adjusting for inflation today. Imagine so what did that. what did that look like? Yeah, you know, and I've talked to workers who who started after '97 and they had like eight fifty, and this is in the '90s. Um, yeah, and eight fifty dollars an hour, it's it's not great, but pretty solid for like some of the young people who are just picking up some part time work. Like this is now, that's not solid. <laughs> you know, that's right. just not living. But anyway, that's why wage. So that's just on the wage point. That's why wages are such a a big issue today, mm. which is a difference. I mean. Not that not a difference, but rather the difference is that wages are the loudest demand coming from the part timers at UPS right now. When mm. prior ninety seven was really about this um, this shift of full, from full time to part time work. Right. In the mid nineties, the Teamsters did uh, some research leading up to the ninety seven strike. Um, it, it was a report called "Half a Job Is Not Enough," mm. and they found that in the mid from, from the early to mid nineties that UPS had hired about like 46,000 uh, workers. 83% uh, or so of them were part-time. By the late 80s, the UPS was already like 60% part-timers. Um, this was bad for full-timers. This was bad for part-timers. Um, right. And 
this was something that was channeled into a contract campaign. Ron Carey, uh, as far as I know, I've tried to talk to some people who knew him about whether or not like the part-time the part-time struggles were really de dear to his heart because from what I can tell, he was pushing for it for a long time within his own local. Hmm. Um, but it also just came from a larger recognition in the United States and, and from good communication strategy emanating from TDU, um, from other people in the union, uh, that this is a part of a larger problem that resonates yeah. in the United States. Part-time work, gig, temporary, contingent labor, um, you know, proliferating uh, corporate America, restructuring, firing full-time workers, um, and people having to work multiple jobs, you know, mm. getting cut hours, but then working more hours than they did before because they have to work multiple jobs. Um, and meanwhile, this was a, a quote-unquote economic recovery right. period in the 1990s. Sounds very familiar to today, right? This yeah. is another similarity. We have like, we're dealing with gig workers, we're dealing with part-time work. I just saw a report that was something like, for, for over 4 million people are working part-time jobs uh, who uh, would like to get full-time jobs, but mm. can't because of uh, it's out of their control. Yeah, It's a major problem in the, in the 90s, economic recovery that wasn't reaching working-class people. Um, and of course, UPS was a leader in this corporate restructuring, part of the, you know, broader anti-union, um, you know, sh outsourcing shipping factories down to the Sunbelt uh, process full-time to part-time was a big part of that so in 1997 while the ups was trying to say they're just greedy they're they're mad that we want to take the pension away from the teamsters and control it ourselves because that mm. was an issue that the ups wanted to take the pension away um or rather they wanted to take control of the pension it wasn't the main issue um when they right. polled workers about what they cared about it was this issue it was the issue of part-time work um and uh, yeah and they they for a year similar to today um started a contract campaign a year prior leading up to contract expiration organized people you know sent out pamphlets contract countdown pamphlets explaining what's going to happen they had people they had organizers at the local level at the building level at the international level including international organizers who they sent off to locals this is a much more divided union one difference is a much more divided union in 1997 coming off of uh you know the election of ron Kerry mm -hmm. and still elements of corruption but yeah, they they had a, a year long campaign basically to prep to make a strike threat credible. UPS didn't even expect it. The media didn't expect it. People did not expect this was going to happen, and they did it. One hundred eighty five thousand Teamsters uh, walked out for fifteen days, um, and it was a resounding victory. They won ten thousand jobs that were combined uh, was were made by ten thousand full time jobs that were made by combining uh, two part time or twenty thousand part time jobs. Um, and this happened again. They were able to build off of this, even though there, there was a return to Hoffa Jr. In 2002, they won 10,000 more jobs. Wow. So it was a huge. And there was also for some workers, the largest wage increases at UPS that I think they had ever seen. Not the case for uh, part timers. I think they only had like a 50 cent raise. Um, but nonetheless, this was a huge victory. And yeah, I'll stop there for a sec. If you have any questions, I could, I could keep going, man. <laughs> no, and and that's and 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 you know I think this is really showcasing why your uh, your podcast is 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 going to be such a such an educational uh, you know piece of work for people that want to know uh, not only what's the nitty gritty of of you know 
the latest and greatest, what's happening today, you know, what were the latest on the negotiations, all this, but learning all of this history um, that is, uh, you know, uh, uh, that is relevant as we want to learn as workers how to fight today because we weren't we're not the first people to do this right we're not the first people ever in unions you know there were people there's been people doing it for uh you know almost like 150 years right and so there are things that we can learn uh from people who who won and people who lost and and the 97 strike is is really um a great example of of people who won and and you mentioned that you know that the tears were an issue in one of your more recent episodes you talked about uh, the PVDs, the personal vehicle drivers, mm-hmm. and how that's like, I mean, almost a third tier of worker Absolutely. at UPS. There are many tiers. I just want to say there are many tiers at UPS. And the part-time, full-time is probably like the original sin of tiers mm. uh, due to, due to um, UPS's power, um, but also due to concessions in the, in the union. Um, that is a tier. There are also tiers for Article 40, which is all the air workers who... Um, you know, this was a concession that was made when UPS was trying to catch up with FedEx in the, um, the air market. So yeah, PVD is another tier. And I just wanted to say one thing about just, uh, yeah, we need to like look back and learn something interesting that Rand Wilson told me, Rand Wilson was the communications coordinator of the, um, UPS contract campaign in 1997. Um, he said that, you know, our organizing strategies were hardly new. They they were hardly right. new, you know. He was an organizer, I think, uh, with the atomic worker, uh, energy workers. Um, OCA prior, he went, yes, and he, and he said, you know, the difference was that we have 185,000 workers, mm. and that's the that's the difference of a, of a strike at UPS now again, 340,000 workers, right. and what that means for the labor movement, what that means for the sector. Yeah, uh, and 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 it really does seem like they 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 grasp the relevance of of not only the importance of this fight for their members, but also you know for the broader working class in this country. Um, the uh, uh, and and just so people know what PVDs are, that stands for personal yeah. vehicle delivery. And and so it, it you know it's kind of self explanatory. These are people that are you that are working for UPS and using their personal vehicles, eating all of this cost that UPS would typically have to with their trucks, uh, with their cars, putting all sorts of miles on it. Uh, you know, having to pay for the oil changes. Uh, you mentioned uh, you know this uh, a few people had their car robbed with packages in it, and you know there's a lot of this. Uh, the, uh, just another way to offload costs onto the workers and bring more money into, uh, you know, into the po- uh, pockets of the shareholders. And and uh, in '97, as today, you know, it's important to note that there's, you know, there's money to go around. They never UPS mm-hmm. has never made more profits than they did last year, thirteen billion dollars. Um, and and yeah. so this is uh. You know, there's there's definitely money to to make sure that to, yeah. to to put an end to tears. Let's see if I can thread the needle and like not get completely lost. But basically, right. what we've seen with part time workers from like, you know, the the 80s when they really proliferated all time today, like this is how UPS built its empire is by mm-hmm. having greater flexibility, which really uh. means just like greater ability to like, uh, you know exploit workers uh right. you know use them when they want schedule them when they when you want 
Um, and that is why UPS is what it is today. That's why through the 80s, they they really expanded. That's why uh, they were able to enter, um, you know, the uh, air markets and uh, next day airs. That's why in the 90s, they expanded even further. That's why they in the 20th cent, 21st century, they expanded and especially exploded in the past few years with the, mm. you know, um, e-commerce boom of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's uh, not just the exploitation of part-timers, but that's a huge element. It's also, of course, making drivers you know work six days a week up to 14 hours a day. We can't forget that. Right. Um, and just to bring that into it, I mean, this constant demand for flexibility means the creation of tiers. It means the exploitation of workers and also pitting people up against each other. Um, right. The full-time, part-time di divide. The second-tier, uh, first-tier divide. Um, the PVD and package car driver divide. Um, yeah. But in each of these cases where there are these divisions, the the harm to one is a harm to both. Yeah. Um, the fact that 60% of the workforce uh, is is making like, you know, 16 or not, not 60, not all 60% are making $16 an hour, about 100,000 of them, uh, according to the union, make below $20 an hour. You know, we have tons of people living in poverty, practically. That isn't good for the feeder drivers who make the most money in, at UPS. That isn't good for the package car drivers because it harms the bargaining unit and it means that eventually UPS can get what they want, including these workers like PVDs. Yeah. Um, Jose which are the sent personal me vehicle and, uh, drivers. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to mention this. Jose sent me last night uh, a flyer for um, municipal assistance uh, from the city of Anaheim, California. And uh, and and looking at these, you know, if you look at the income limits, somebody that's hired today at UPS living in Anaheim qualifies for financial assistance. People people are living here in New York. People are sleeping in the subways. Yeah, people are living in shelters. People like I talked to Jose for a number of times. He told me about people living in their cars. Um. Mm -hmm. And this is a this is an issue that's impacting so many people across the country, which is why this is so important beyond logistics as well. Um, but just to thread it back to you know these tiered issues at UPS throughout the economy, um, it deleverages the power to have people uh, you know at odds with one another, have a huge portion or even a small portion of people who are doing worse in a union. Personal vehicle drivers. Um, they these these gig like workers who use their own personal vehicles and work off of an app that uses the ups uh, dyad that's the scanner technology of the, of the package car drivers um they actually are employees they're seasonal employees and they pay union fees where in in you know in non-right to work states the problem of course is that the union can't get you know close to them in time and and uh and they're not there for long enough to you know uh, benefit from the protections that some of them actually do get. There's like this chaos that occurs um, during peak season, and PVDs really get the brunt of it. But of course, like what, like uh, the the fault, you know, like the uh, depravity of of part timers that harms the full timers. They fear for their jobs and what have you. Can't bargain uh, for more. The PVDs, they're dealing with so much, and it de-skills the package car driver job. It takes yeah. hours away. It means that less package car drivers will get will get um you know hired so this the right. the prob the what what 
UPS has been doing for decades and decades is dividing the union. The union in many cases, unfortunately, has allowed it to happen. Um, and it harms everybody. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, you know, in 97, uh, there was unity. And, uh, and, and right now there appears to be unity. The biggest, you know, that we were talking about what's new in negotiations. It came down, right, to part-time wages. But like, at least when I'm looking at this, one of the biggest questions and and you know from an organizing and messaging standpoint is how the union can make sure that the workers stay united mm. um, and it appears that they are but making sure that the company doesn't win the company doesn't uh benefit from this flexibility which is really a right. division of the union for them to exploit um you know between the ranks so look, workers need to look at each other and say you know see each other and in each other um, a lot of full-time drivers, they, they, you can't become a driver oftentimes in hubs without going through the, the warehouse for three to eight years. Right. Right. Um, so it's all about solidarity right now. And from what I'm seeing, that is, that is there, thankfully. Um, you know, we got, uh, we got drivers fighting, uh, out in the streets doing these practice pickets. Um, you know, uh, oftentimes part-timers aren't even there because of the timing. It's, it's good when they, they do the, they schedule these practice pickets so that they can include the part-timers. That's great. Some locals are doing that, but even, even though some of them are not there, we have drivers out in the streets saying, look, we're fighting for our part-time brothers. Cause we're the same. Yeah. There's somebody in the chat, uh, you know, say uh, a package car driver, uh, you know, I, s saying that I'd be happy to strike for, uh, my, part-timer sisters and brothers co-workers um and and you know speaking of flexibility joe from Cortland here in alabama who is a retired steel worker and really uh you know led his local in a lot of ways against um uh some of the some of management's demands for flexibility uh in his workplace said that uh greater flexibility is just another way to say bend over <laughs> you know and i totally. think that's <laughs> i don't know of a better way to put it um, so, you know, uh, uh, Teddy, I, I think that this is, this has been great and, and we'll, we'll give you a, a chance to say, um, you know, some parting stuff, but I, I think that my, my final question is going to be, uh, what impact is it going to have on, you know, it, it, and, and, and this kind of goes to your conversation with Barry Eidlin on your show and, and on Twitter where, it, you know, he's always kind of a bit pessimistic. Uh, on some of this stuff, <laughs> and, and and so, uh, what is it going to mean when the Teamsters win? Yeah, I'm going to defend my man Barry. I think Barry Barry maybe gets <laughs> rep for being pessimistic, but he actually he's he plays the wonderful role of someone who keeps us grounded in the labor movement to understand and really keep a good record. Um, you know, recently he actually clarified something that we've been saying on the show for a while. That a lot of people have um, been saying that, like, uh, you know, mainstream media people who get, you know, paid the yeah. big bucks to do this were saying, too. Not yeah. just you. Yeah, that it's the first, that it's the largest single employer strike in U.S. history if it happens. Um, and it actually is. It wouldn't be. It would be the second. <laughs> because there is a lot of understudying of this specific strike um, in 1970 at GM. But anyway, regardless. Isn't, well, just, just hear, to put a, just to, like, underline that. Isn't that insane that there's so little there's so little focus on labor reporting and labor history that it just goes unremarked 
that, oh, yeah, hey, by the way, uh, 400,000 workers <laughs> went on strike, almost half a million at one employer in 1970. And here people have been saying for the last year that this 340,000 yep. employee strike would be the largest. And just nobody remembered that. People yeah, lived the, through that and nobody was like, oh, hey, you know, that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, that was it. Like, that is just, that is it within historical memory. Like, how do we have this? ridiculous historical misremembering um and i was dming you know even beyond like the that weird sort of media media issue um of which i was a part like the um i was dming with barry uh idlin and and you know we were just both marveling at that there were four hundred thousand gm workers just period right oh my god yeah (laughs) and now there's a hundred like four hundred thousand there's like four hundred thousand uaw members right now right yeah um, so anyway, that said, you'll you can hear you can hear just my defense of Barry and also correcting the record. Um, Barry, you can hear Barry say this on the show when three hundred and forty thousand workers, uh, definitionally in every zip code in the country, uh, go on strike. Everybody's gonna see it, and mm. if they win, everybody's gonna be like, "Whoa, right? I can use. I, do I have that leverage? Yeah. Look at, what is what is this?" newfound leverage I, I learned in the form of a strike, you know? Um, so that's just in terms of a demonstration effect. And, and we're seeing it now too, with the, uh, with the actors, with the writers, with the hotel workers, um, with nurses strikes, we've been seeing, or just, you know, the tons of strikes, uh, that it seem to be going on. I don't know whether they're like reaching the, the most historical levels at this point, but at least in the past few years, we're seeing something. Um, and the UPS strike would be an immense spark for that in a demonstration yeah. way, um, in a standards way, um, in a, in a leveraging way for bargaining, if 340,000 workers win a dope contract, um, then that gives the Teamsters a, a wonderful golden mm-hmm. ticket to go and show to everyone else and be like, yeah. look at what we can give you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And of course the highest stakes are for Amazon which is trying to destroy the working class. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a big deal. You know, whether or not it's the largest or the second largest or whatever, why are we measuring it in that way? This is immense. That's going to happen right now. Um, it definitely grasps media attention, but uh, unfortunately the media has been covering it about the damage done to and the costs <laughs> of a strike to the economy, yeah. the consumers but the cost of this not them not winning an enormous contract is immensely larger. Um, that is the stakes for the labor movement right now. Could not agree more. And it is it is important to have you know uh, reporters uh, like yourself and media like in these times and the Real News Network that your podcast is is partnered with that remind people that we are not just consumers, right? We are more than our consumption. We are members of a working class, and we are citizens of the country and the world. And, and it's just so, and those things, all, those things are so much more important than our identity as a consumer. And that's, that's something that, Adam, you were talking about on your appearance with, with Flash on America's Workforce. Um, speaking of which, Teddy, uh, you should go on America's Workforce at some point if you haven't already. It's great. Um, and, and oh, Flash yeah, I don't, I don't even know what that is. Oh, you don't even you don't know what America's Workforce Union Radio Podcast I got, is. I oh, gotta do, man. I I I, I screwed we'll up. up. Did I out myself? 
Yeah, you added yourself. We'll hook you up. We'll hook you yeah. up. Um, but uh, well, I wanted to shout out uh, Teddy's appearance on Citations Needed because ah. I had actually just recently listened to that uh, before my appearance on America's Workforce, and so that was really in my head uh, when when we were talking about this conversation because yeah i mean media trains us to think of ourselves as consumers how do things convenience or inconvenience our Mm. consumption and you know that's kind of the framing of any particular labor issue and that's so unfortunate and such a disservice to the lived realities of people every day in this country i mean and what people struggle through and go through um, and so, yeah, I really appreciate your work, Teddy, in, in highlighting these issues and, and really, you know, centering worker voices and telling the story, uh, because this struggle is important for all working people, regardless of whether you're, you know, UPS or a Teamster. Uh, this is about the standards of working people in this country. And so, uh, you know, this is a huge contract and it's, a, it's also huge in terms of uh, reformism within our union movement and democracy within our union movement, and can we get the goods? Uh, you know, it's one thing to win office, but it's another thing to win a good contract yeah. and, and to organize yeah. your forces sustainably. Yeah. So for all those reasons, the work you're doing is really important and really appreciated. You, Thank you guys so much. I, I really appreciate hearing it. You And thank you for your work. It's uh, You guys do brilliant stuff. Um, I've, I tell Jake about how uh, jealous I am of all your designs and your thumbnails. Um, but that's just the hilarious, uh, you know, a superficial part of the brilliant, uh, re- you know, reporting and, 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 and brilliant radio work that you guys do, um, you know, in the lineage of others, like the real news, like in these times, um, shout out to all of those out there who are actually speaking to workers and not to logistics supply chain management experts. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that's a great place to end it on. Uh, Check out Teddy Ostro's podcast, The Upsurge, wherever you get your podcasts and on the Real News Network and in these Times magazines. He's also writing articles for those places and, uh, and elsewhere. Really great work. Teddy, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, guys. Yeah, really enjoyed that yeah, conversation was... and really appreciate it. Um, y'all definitely check out the pod. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. And I'm gonna text the, I'm gonna text the producer of AWF and and get Teddy on on AWF. He need, Flash needs to talk to him. Um, so we've got a few more stuff that we want to talk about. And I've been teasing this scab influencer story the whole show, and we haven't got to it yet. Let so we're gonna get to that right now. Um, Adam, Adam, do you know what an influencer is? I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, these these folks that kind of don't they make a living off social media, basically, uh, promoting products primarily and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 are, you know, you the youth like. Yeah. The youth, the youth are influenced by these influencers, as the name might suggest. Uh, You know, a lot of there are different types. I think that some people might might would would throw us in the category broadly um you know there's a there it's just like social media commentary and and chatting and and a lot of it when you think of influencer uh you know i think generally people think of like just personality type stuff and and makeup and and stuff like this um and so so you know in a sense organizers are influencers mm-hmm, i mm-hmm. mean definitionally right so right. yeah i mean in 
if we're doing our job right, if we're successful, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, and so, you know, and some people do it even not really as a job. They don't really make a lot of money off of this. They just they just enjoy, you know, um, that they enjoy, you know, doing these kind of tutorials or just chatting with folks or, or telling stories and, and stuff like this. And that's, and, and you know, that's all, you know, I mean, that's, that you know, that there's kind of a, yeah. Um, I have friends, yeah. I have friends that are that are influencers. Actually, uh, uh, um, somebody from high school that I used to be close with. She has like a million followers on TikTok, uh, but she's not doing what this influencer is doing. So this person is a nurse, and she's a travel nurse. Um, and again, no, nothing against travel nurses; those are great. But uh, she also released just this gem of a video last week. Let's watch it all right let's see if i can get that pulled up i'm sorry about that y'all we had to do quite a bit of editing on our videos this morning because we had so much cursing <laughs> we had so much cursing going on all right jacob i'm gonna have to come back to you on that oh what let me let me come back uh -oh. to you on the scab nurse Oh no! It's just taking me a sec. Okay. Yeah, I've got it. Okay. I've got I've got scab nurse number two, but there's a scab nurse number one. Um, That's not playing. The. Uh, okay, I got you. I got you. Watch this, y'all day in the life as a strike nurse. I am on my way to the airport to fly into the city where the staff nurses are striking. Strike contracts are a pretty quick turnaround, so you have to be ready to go. You, you also be have to be to extremely your, adaptable uh, and flexible, similar to travel nursing. Throats. Guys, this eye mask and headphone combo on the plane, I literally pass out every plane ride now. I definitely found what works for me. Transportation took me from the airport to the hotel where onboarding takes place. On the way there, I made some friends, Nurses honestly make the best friends, don't tell me otherwise. Onboarding was super organized, which I love. And my nurse bestie that drove in to work the strike picked me up for dinner. To bed I go for a long week. Okay, so you make the best friends. <laughs> While you're... <laughs> you are literally making things worse for your brothers and sisters. Yeah. Uh, but it, apparently it continues. Uh, yeah, well, there, there is another one. Um, and so, you know, you can, you can imagine that the reception to her, uh, bragging about being a scab, uh, was not well received. Uh, and, and I mean, here we have workers all over yeah. the country rising up, <laughs> workers all over the country, putting it on the line, literally walking mm -hmm. the picket line, uh, you know, fighting for their family and their livelihood, fighting to raise the standards for working people in this country. Uh, and you are bragging. Right, right. About scabbing. And, yeah. and right. And, and just showing people how fun it is, how fun it is to, to uh, you know, slit the throats of members of your class. And, you know, here's the thing. Like, I try to be understanding that, you know, not everyone who scabs, quote unquote, necessarily realizes what they're doing when they're getting into it. Right. We we've seen that throughout history where workers are kind of tricked into scabbing more or mm -hmm. less. 
Uh, we also have workers who maybe don't understand what it is that they're doing and why that's bad. Uh, you have workers who sometimes are just so desperate. Uh, maybe they're put into that position for various reasons. I try to be as understanding as possible, uh, but at the end of the day, you are betraying your fellow workers. Yeah. And and that and it, this is not that right. This is not right. a situation of desperation or where you don't know what you're doing. Clearly, this person knows what they're doing, and feels totally okay with it. Yeah. So okay that they will brag about it on the internet. Right. Um, that's pretty sorry. Yeah. So uh, you know, so she got some some reaction to that, and so let's see how she responded. All right, guys. So I normally do not give in to people's negativity, hate comments, but I'm gonna address this once and I'll never address it again, um, first and last time doing this. I posted two videos on my page <clears throat> of me working or going to work um, on a strike and I've never encountered more nurse bullying than I have the past week. Let me just say that nurses are professionals and the way that some of you guys are name calling and threatening me on my page is disgusting. So I, I'm just curious. Names like Scab, <laughs> right, right, Class Trader. <laughs> yeah, just accurate descriptions of of you as a yeah, right. Uh, backstabber. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they all seem like fair names given the situation, but <laughs> you know, I understand that's negativity. Uh. Toxic. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, she's gonna she's gonna throw some words at you that you're gonna love. The way you treat others is a reflection of you. Um, so just no, no irony sense. with what you say to other people, I really do wish you self healing and self growth, and I hope you, you know, fix whatever you got going on internally. Um, if you like to be mean to other people, just know that. Um, you know. So I'm just going to say, I really do hope that she experiences some growth from this moment. <laughs> yeah. And self-healing. Right, yeah. Because class consciousness doesn't come easy to everyone. Um, I get it. Like, you know, you're a backstabber. But you don't have to always be a backstabber. You can grow from that. You can self-heal, perhaps, from your backstabbing. Working as a nurse, whether you're a strike nurse, a travel nurse, you're a staff nurse, you work in med surge, you work in ICU, you work in the... Also, I love how you just throw in, like, strike nurse as just like a routine... Right, as if it's like the same as a, a nurse in the ICU, yeah. Some people work in the ER. Some people are scabs. Some people yeah. work at the, you know, pediatrician's office. Some people break a strike, Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah. Clinic, you work in aesthetics. Nothing is wrong about that. You are gonna see a lot of opinions all throughout social media about different jobs. There is nothing wrong with you going and working and paying your bills. I just wanna end this wrong. with saying- um, I, It really does depend, right? right. I, I mean, I yeah, think that's You a... can pay your bill. The, the Nazi guards paid their bills, right? And that- <laughs> There are actual hitmen who do live and right. exist in this world. Um, so no, this just you know, let's not just make a blanket statement that way. She needs to self heal. I love my job, and um, I'm not here to say any negative things about people, and I won't. I hope people like this have a better day and kind of be more aware about what they say and how that may affect other people. 
Yeah, and and somebody in the chat, uh, it's Vex, uh, cry bully therapy speak, and that's I mean that's exactly it, right? I mean just this the condescending, self healing, all this nonsense, um, total misappropriation of uh, words that can be uh, valuable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm teasing and everything, but like obviously self healing is is good. Uh, growth I is like good. I like to heal. I like right. to grow. We like to grow from our mistakes. And in and, and all sincerity, I really hope that this lady really did learn something from this because it seems like she was taken aback by like the criticism. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, sister, where have you been? Yeah. Uh, how do you, how did you not realize that this could be controversial? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like the only appropriate emotion for a scab would be shame. Yeah. Um, well, and and she has, and and unfortunately, she has not grown. So that last video was was posted six days ago, and somebody commented that said, uh, "When you work as a strike nurse, you give the hospitals an option. If they can't hire strike nurses, they have to give in to staff demands." And you know, I mean, that's the thing, right? And that's also why when nurses go on strike, they give hospitals notice so that. If they're not able to get enough scabs, they can transport patients to other hospitals uh, during the strike. And yeah, I mean, just yeah, to be very clear about that, what you're doing is you're undermining the power right. of your colleagues, your fellow workers, the people who are like you, yeah, uh, who have nothing to sell but their labor, their expertise, their skills, their their brain and muscles, whatever the situation may be. In this case, it's their nursing. Um, that is. Really, an unacceptable choice, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm I'm all for an inclusive movement, and you know, including as many people as possible. Uh, but as part of that, you have to recognize that an injury to one is an injury to all, and when you partake in that kind of activity of crossing picket lines or you know serving as a scab to undermine a, a strike, that is detrimental to you ultimately. Mm-hmm. Right. Not just to those particular workers, but to all of us as workers in this country uh, and in this world. And so, uh, you know, I seriously, yeah. I, I hope you grow from that. Uh, and I hope folks learn from that situation. Uh, no, I don't condone bullying of, you know, folks of any kind necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, bullying, scabbing is a bullying tactic, frankly. Uh, and it is used by the bullies, which would be yeah. management, the owners, the the you know ruling class, so to speak, uh, who, through their power imbalance, undermines class power of working people. So somebody replied to that comment about like just kind of illustrating what the issue is. And somebody replied said, "What if their demands are excessive?" Devil's advocate. And the creator liked that comment and put like a bunch of exclamation points points under it. Uh, that was one day ago. Another person said, "The moment a travel that's the problem, right? Is is just the nurses are asking for too much, right? Yeah, you of know, course. the staffing Which ratios, is just the totally something that happens all the time is nurses asking for too much, and it is never that CEOs are asking for too much. That's you don't ever see that." Um, Another comment said, the moment a travel nurse starts a strike contract, that is them supporting other nurses, taking on responsibilities they left behind to strike. Oh. Oh, jeez. Here's another one. 
I mean, they're striking and oh, and by the, and the creator liked that comment. Uh, here's another comment. I mean, they're striking and saying it's quote all about the patients, not money. Then they're mad you're taking care of said patients. Uh, nope, they're mad that you're undermining them and making it more difficult for them to take care of said patients. Uh, the creator liked that comment. Here's another one. Girl, don't worry about them. Get your money. You owe no one any loyalty but the green. And that is really, and she liked that comment. And that's really the, yeah, the American way. Yeah, just no allegiance to anybody. Your soul is for sale if somebody's willing to pay you enough. Right. Well, I, for one, uh, have to be able to sleep at night. Yeah. And so, no, I'm not for sale. I'm unbought and unbossed, and that's how we all ought to be. And that's just, uh, you know, it's disappointing because we can do so much better. Yeah. And when we look out for one another and we take care of one another, we can actually do a lot better as, as a society. Uh, but we can't with that kind of mentality. Uh, so that's yeah. unfortunate. Uh, hopefully... This influencer won't have much influence except for to, uh, you know, reveal what happens yeah. uh, when you betray your fellow worker. There's two more stories I want to get to, and I'll promise I'll be quick, and then we'll go ahead and wrap up. Um, so, we got folks waiting on us. So, the UAW, uh, we've been talking about new leadership in the Teamsters. We talked about the UAW with Teddy. Um and the Teamsters are not the only ones with fresh blood. You've also got the UAW, uh, who began bargaining with the Big Three last week. Uh, their international elections, the first ever in the history of, a union, of the union, resulted in a clean slate for the reformers uh, who were backed by Unite All Workers for Democracy, the Reform Caucus, and the UAW. And uh, like I said, they began bargaining with the Big Three last week. And traditionally, that bargaining began with a, uh, a handshake. With the companies, <laughs> if you if you can imagine such a thing, um, this big ceremonial thing. There's all the press, a bunch of pictures, and there's all you know. I mean, just uh, you know, j just rubbing elbows with the bosses uh, that you're going to be bargaining across the table from in a uh, you know hopefully an adversarial way. So uh, that's how it's uh, that's how negotiations have started for decades. This time. It started with what they're calling a member's handshake. Uh, and Sean Fain said that he will not shake hands with an executive from the big three until they do right by his members. I think that's exactly the right posture to take towards this kind of stuff. And of course, this is a symbolic gesture, not shaking hands with the CEOs, shaking hands with the members. That is not going to put money in the pockets of the members, but it is indicative of a new direction that the UAW is going in and one that I believe will result in better for the members and better for working folks in America. And it is a strategy that has historically resulted in wins for the members of the unions that uh, engaged in that strategy and for working people writ large. So here's a promotional video that the union cut from the members' handshake. Let's play that. Good to see you, brother. You ready for this? Myself and members of the International Executive Board will be kicking off negotiations in a whole new way by shaking hands with the members. You all right? Stephanie Williams, just yeah. wanted to say hi. Oh, yeah. We want to hear from working members. We want to take your message straight to the bargaining table. My big issue is uh, uh, cost of living. You bet. 
pension for the, the guys that are to get rid of the tears. Get rid of the tears. You bet. In a break with tradition, there won't be no public handshake ceremony with the companies. I'm not shaking hands with any CEOs until they do right by our members and we fix the broken status quo at the big three. If you're not with us, then get out the way. Then we're marching for it, right? Yeah, you're damn right. I mean the members have to come first. That's just one of the many changes we're making in order to win a historic victory at the big three. We're changing how we negotiate, we're changing how we organize, how we fight, and how we win. Really great stuff there and uh, important posture to take into the negotiations as they fight to end tears, as they fight to bring wages up, uh, as they fight to ensure that the transition to electric vehicles is one that is just and that maintains a quality of life for the people who create those electric vehicles. Um, It's very important and it's also important to understand that Stellantis alone has made a quarter of a trillion dollars over the last decade, $29 billion in the last year alone, and that uh, they can absolutely afford to pay this, uh, to pay their workers what they're worth. Um, so when they come to you crying poor, it's important not to believe it. And it's also important not to buy... You know, I was on Dale Jackson's show earlier this week, and he talked about, he said, quote unquote, the unions uh, is what led to the decimation of the auto industry because they asked for too much. Are they going to ask for too much this time? And it's just important to understand how silly that is, because one of the reasons that a reform group was able to win the UAW is because of corruption at the top of the UAW. And people talk about corruption and people talk about quote unquote union corruption, but they never really talk about exactly what it was that happened. What was the corruption? The corruption was allowing the companies to give, uh, was being in the pocket of the executives illegally, taking bribes, selling their members out. That's the corruption that we're talking about here. So the idea that these people who were on the one hand, uh, prosecuted for illegally selling out their members were on the other hand asking for so much for their members that they bankrupted the auto industry. It's just a silly thing to believe. Um, and so, you know, it's important that you put, put the, put that to bed. And, uh, and, and so I'm looking forward to seeing what the big three, uh, what the negotiations with the big three, uh, how they turn out, obviously supporting the UAW and uh, and wishing them a fair contract. One more here, and then we'll roll out of here. Um, y'all know that we had been talking about, uh, we've been covering the rail situation for a long time. Uh, we talked about the contract, and we've been talking about how uh, now, actually, um, most rail workers in the United States have paid sick days. Um, they've come, most of the rail unions and rail carriers have come to agreements after the, uh, after the contract was, um, I believe, uh, immorally and, and, and grossly pushed down the throats of the workers in the unions who had voted down the contract by the Biden administration and by Congress. Um, they have since, most of them gotten sick days, but that is not, uh, they, they haven't stopped retaliating against people who have been pushing to get paid sick days, particularly friend of the show, Paul Lindsay. 
He was a guest on the show. He is a he was now a railroad engineer, and he was fired. And he's been fired three times now. And uh, Paul Lindsay asserts that that is so that it makes it that much more difficult for an arbitrator to overturn it because this time they because they'd have to overturn three firings, three separate cases. And that and 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 so that level of retaliation is unprecedented. And it's not for performance. It's not for performance. We're going to play this clip from Paul Lindsay's interview with working people, friend of the show, Maximilian Alvarez. The Working People podcast. Again, recommend checking that one out. Let's play a clip from Max's interview with Paul and let him tell you what it is that they are firing him for. So it's bad enough they held uh, an investigation, a formal hearing on this. Um, that probably would have been overturned by the uh, arbitrator when they looked at it. Well, they want to multiply that times three to see if an arbitrator will overturn it three times because I referred to myself in the investigation just as I think any worker right now would feel toward these corrupt billionaire employers. And that is I referred to myself as feeling like a slave to 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 my work, to my industry, right? And they didn't like that. And so they held another formal investigation a few weeks later to fire me again for saying that I used a racial slur to talk about myself when I was referring to myself as being a slave to their company. And Fuck then they, off, man. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then they held a third one that day that I didn't even know was going on uh, until afterwards. We went straight into another formal hearing so that they could bring one more TikTok video that I'd posted into the mix, this time about the SEMA derailment and the train leaving the rails doing 140 miles an hour, right? Um, so they fire, they hold three separate formal investigations, one on the original first five TikTok videos, the next for me calling myself a slave to them, and the next for another TikTok video so that they can ensure that I'm silenced and can never be brought back to work by an arbitrator is what they're trying to do. And it's unprecedented and it's unheard of in the industry. I don't know anyone in the industry that's dealt with uh, the union and formal investigations like that has ever seen someone investigated three times in regard to the same exact charge. I'm like, I'm at a loss for words with that. That is, that is insane to me. And yeah. I think, yeah, like, um, they blackballed you know, the industry too there, Max. I've applied to multiple <laughs> positions on Amtrak since then as a qualified engineer with a lot of good years of service. And I'm not getting any response from anybody because they blackballed me by essentially saying that, you know, if you, you look at my service record now, now it shows that apparently I use racial slurs for referring to calling myself a slave. Yeah, really gross stuff there. Um, just absolutely despicable from the rail carriers. And so, um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, not much else to say there other than, um, you know, all the support in the world to Paul Lindsay and, uh, and hopefully we'll see the arbitrator overturn three firings and he'll be able to get his job back. Yeah, absolutely. That is totally ridiculous. Total retaliation. Sending our solidarity with Paul. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, presumably because this is a speech issue, right? This is not, this is not a performance issue. This is a speech issue. They were offended by what he said. So, I mean, I'm looking for... Yeah, I, I'm looking for any day now, 
you know, I mean, people like Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson and all these people who think that free speech is so important. I mean, I pres- surely they're going to be on top of this case just any day now, I think. Um, so we'll let you know when that happens. Right. With that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up, folks. Uh, appreciate you staying a little long with us, but uh, had a lot to get to and 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 wanted to get really wanted to get to all those stories. Uh, really appreciate y'all, uh, Teddy Ostro. Uh, coming on and uh, one more plug for the new merch tvlr.fm slash store tvlr.fm slash store you can buy our new join a union or the boss will get you shirt Uh, pre-orders are up now through mid-august shirts will be in at the end of september Uh, if you have the money please do Send us uh, some money to tvlr.fm slash donate so that we can keep doing the show. And uh, and, and we're going to go ahead and, and wrap up. Uh, Adam's going to see you Thursday morning with another episode of Shop Talk. And I'll see you next week.